Hello and welcome to episode 102 of Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling. For this episode, we let the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences pick our movie. So we're discussing this year's Best Picture winner, CODA. We both had seen CODA in the run-up to the Oscars, but we wanted to see what a rewatch reveals when we aren't watching it as part of a frantic session of cramming any and all nominated pictures. CODA has been a huge hit with audiences, even before its three nominations and wins at the Oscars, and it has broken ground all over the place. It's the first streaming movie to win Best Picture, Apple paid the highest price for distribution out of any Sundance movie ever, and it is the first Sundance movie to win Best Picture. But more impactfully, the film's story of a deaf family and the performances by deaf actors have been an important space for representation of deaf people in mainstream Hollywood movies. The Oscar win by Troy Kotzer is huge for the deaf community and the general population to see deaf representation and success. And among all that beautiful success, how is the movie itself? Is it all we need to get by? Keep listening. Most people who are terrified of singing don't sign up for a choir. Other kids make me nervous. I used to get made fun of. I talked funny when I first started school. You're the, the girl with the deaf family? Everyone but you? Yeah. And you sing. Interesting. Are you any good? I don't know. All right, so of course that was a clip from the movie we are discussing today, Coda. That was uh, Ruby, as played by Amelia Jones. Uh, coming back to her choir teacher, uh, Bernardo. I, I am not going to say that today because I have never been able to roll my R's. Oh no! And that's definitely something he makes a point of saying, not yeah. to even try. By uh, Eugenio Derbez. Yeah, Eugenio Derbez is the choir teacher. Uh, she had previously been so shy about singing that she ran out of the class. And so yeah. this was her coming back yeah. and uh, trying her second chance, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Coda. Coda. Best picture winner. You know, we yeah. talked in our last episode about how the Academy was going to uh, decide our episode. Uh, our episode. Yeah. And so this is what we're talking about as selected by right. the Academy. And we said, we said, that we had worked it out through our lawyers. They weren't going to mention us on the night. Right. And that was your idea. I, I, I wasn't sure. I mean, after that night, <laughs> what a great it. idea to keep our name out, of out their mouths. <laughs> right? That's right. I just knew it. I knew. You had a I, sense. I had a sense. That I thought it I I didn't show it in the last episode, but I, I questioned it. I said... And I said, it might no, be a good Ryan, thing. I didn't. They need to keep our names. <laughs> you said those words, so I was shocked on Oscar night, <laughs> right? When Will was, Smith it, borderline it, quoted you, it, it was a bit of deja vu. It was yeah. that show had enough drama to it already, right? 
Yeah. To, to the point where, and I'm, I'm actually kind of being serious here, uh-huh. to the point where, like, it's actually really unfortunate that nobody is actually talking about who won Best Coda, Picture right. mm-hmm. uh, at the Academy Awards. Yep. Whether you like the movie, love the movie, or think it was just okay, like, the point is, pretty much every other Oscars year, like, when something wins... Everybody's gets, talking it, about everybody that. talks yeah. about it for the next few days, you know, and yeah. it gets some attention. And it really is you know. too bad, especially because there were a lot of monumental winners. Yeah. And of course, Troy Kotzer. Mm-hmm. But like, even if you were watching the show, his moment right. was totally Just like clouded. should have been the moment of the night. That mm-hmm. should have been what people were talking about. Mm-hmm. You know who nobody was talking about Monday morning? <laughs> Can, we, Can still we still be friends? Be friends? That's right. And that is because you <laughs> I knew. I made sure of it. You I knew. made sure of it. <laughs> yeah. But we're not here to talk about we're not here to uh, talk this about partnership that. we had with the Academy. We're here to talk about Coda. Yeah, Coda. So, I mean... How do you? How do, well, okay. So let's just do. I think we should just maybe do what we normally. No, do. I was going to. I was going to say. Uh, I feel weird about this because there are things about Coda that are tremendously important. Mm-hmm. That like for the deaf community, this is huge. For deaf children, seeing the, the Troy Kotzer win an Oscar, I mean, that's enormous. Mm-hmm. Um. But at the same time, the first time we watched this, I don't think either of us thought too much of it. Other than what you just said. I mean, I think we were aware of that. Yes. You know, I think we were aware of that sort of importance of the movie. And, you know, I, I don't even I, I don't even really like to use that word because right. honestly, it kind of makes it so that you're not really talking about it as a movie. You're just kind of talking about it, what it does for the idea of movies and right, the idea yeah. of art or certain communities. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, like. This is the thing, and maybe we should just kind of back up and talk about first viewings. And, you know, it's a recent movie, so first viewings is still going to be just like, I watched this, what, about a month ago or so. Um, Just by its nature of being a small indie family drama was not going to be typically high on my 2C list unless people were talking about it. Right. Because that is just, I, I've seen a lot of it, you know? And so for a movie within that sort of, if you want to call it a genre or whatever, um, it has to have something really unique going for it, I think, for me just to naturally say, yes, I want to see that. That yeah. is definitely one I want to see. Even, know? would you say, and this isn't a gotcha question, would you say beyond the unique story it's telling? Well, let me ask you this as a part of that. Oh, you're not going to answer. Okay. As a deflection. Mm-hmm. Let's say it's the exact same movie as far as like what it's tackling, the themes it's using, the people it's representing. Um, so you mean like a teen coming of age movie? Teen coming of age movie. I'll even say a teen coming of age movie about a teen growing up in a household of as a child as, of a, deaf as a child of deaf adults. Yeah. Would this have been a movie you would have sought out if there was no buzz around it? I would have been curious, but. Probably not, especially like if I had watched the trailer, like that sort of thing, probably not especially. Because to be honest, um, I don't even think I heard about this movie until it was nominated. I had heard about it. I had heard, you know, this uh, Sundance buzz around it, like the winter before. Yeah. And this is neither a... um, We're just being honest. Yeah, no, this is... Yeah, we're not even getting into how we feel about the actual movie. I'm just trying to sort of talk about like actually this was one of those movies that it was one of the last ones i saw mm. uh, as far as the ones i really wanted to catch up with i i went into it a little bit more kicking and screaming just because the cynical part of me mm-hmm. 
saw this as well first of all that you had to have apple tv to get it to watch it yeah okay so even to watch this movie i've got to add another streaming platform to my already large list of streaming platforms i subscribe to and i kind of saw it this is the cynical part of me again i saw it as like oh this is just apple's strategy yeah algorithm this is their way of looking at the data Mm-hmm. and saying, this is a movie that I think could put Apple TV more on the map. Yeah, representation's in the conversation, so right. we've got a movie that has representation. Right. And and then you saw how much they 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 spent on the movie, $25 million. Mm-hmm. Just uh, to distribute. Just to distribute it. I mean, you know, I don't even know how you'd calculate it, but they're not. They're probably not going to really ever kind of make that money back in any It only way. made $1.5 million in the theater. Right. Because it has to have a theatrical release to... To be uh, up for the awards, yes. But... Kind of side conversation. They're planning, I believe, on re-releasing it into theaters, which is interesting. It's the flip of the way things have worked before, which is get it into theaters, get an audience, get it Oscar nominated, get the buzz generated. Now it's sort of like stream it, get the buzz generated, get the nomination, then put it in theaters. Yeah, and 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 actually, like now that you mentioned that kind of stuff, it sort of is also this other thing that I feel like is kind of unfortunate about Coda. Another reason people won't actually talk about the movie is because. They're going to talk more about like what does this mean for streaming? What does this mean for the, right, the yeah, business? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, there's just so much about this movie that is working against it actually being talked about as a movie, right? And just what do you think about that movie? Right. Uh, going back to I kind of strayed a little bit, but going back to the idea of like this was one that I really only watched to check off the list. Mm-hmm. Um, I no, and okay, also okay. I, I I did when I was hearing more about it. I was curious. I, I was like, oh, it, that might be. a pretty good movie yeah and i don't know if you want to get into like how you were the yeah, first time no you watched i do it I, I, so i saw all 10 nominated movies best picture nominated movies before the oscars i would have put coda pretty well in the middle of what i saw let me just for a moment unnecessarily take belfast to task that was the worst of the 10 <laughs> i didn't see it so i really I couldn't comment. stand it i thought it was so weak i don't know i really didn't like belfast um, but it was, you know, kind of in the middle of fighting for five and six with Dune for me. And of the, of the best picture. Of the best picture yeah. movies. Not yeah, all yeah, the yeah. movies you've seen. Uh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Um, and, but I also couldn't tell if I was watching it with best picture nomination backlash. Sure. You know, like, oh yeah, this movie's fine, but is it better than all these other movies that I would say didn't get nominated? You know, um, that's not fair you know, to the movie. So I I guess basically when I first saw it, I thought it was a pretty conventional coming of age teen story with the unique and necessary and important aspect of the representation for deaf people and deaf actors, Um, which this movie is a remake of a French movie. And that movie, two of the actors weren't deaf, Mm. but they, you know, played deaf people. And so this movie did it better. Everybody who, you know, and um, from what I read, um, they kind of had to fight for that. Like uh, yeah. Marley Matlin, uh, who's the mother character in this, and, and an, she's Oscar, an winner. Oscar winner. She's she's been in tons of stuff. I knew her actually most as the uh, as Jerry's girlfriend in Se- in the Seinfeld episode. Oh yeah, uh, where she's uh, she plays a deaf uh, girlfriend of his, yeah. and of course in Seinfeld fashion. They're all, you know, self-involved jerks who just only see her as having a superpower that she can she read lips from yeah. across the room. That's the that's how I mostly knew her. But anyways, what I what I read was that she was kind of brought into the project pretty early. 
And a lot of the people who were the financial backers of the movie kind of scoffed at the idea of hiring all deaf actors to play the deaf parts. Mm -hmm. And she just said, if you don't do it, I'm walking. I Mm -hmm. will not do it. So it was mostly because of her sticking to her guns on that, that that that's what we have. So yeah, that that is huge. And I also want to say that I think it's possible to acknowledge the importance and respect the step forward and, you know, like be there for that and say that the movie itself is fine. Yeah, right. <laughs> but like, you know, to kind of jump to current viewings or rewatches, um, I really was trying to just put the fact that it won Best Picture aside. And I just tried to watch it as a teen coming of age movie, you know, like do the Roger Ebert thing, sort of just say like, in this genre, what's this movie doing? And I, I did enjoy it. I felt like I was with it a, a lot more the second time. What about you? I will say, even the first time I watched it, I was pleasantly surprised. Like yeah. I was like, "This is uh, this is a good movie." Yeah. You know, like it hits and the beats. And- it, it hits the beats, and I will say, like you know, and even compared to movies that I probably, as far as you know, overall feeling ranked a lot higher, this one probably emotionally hit me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, crying a little bit mm-hmm. more than some of the movies that I might even rank higher for the year. Um, so yeah, it, in that way, it was effective. And, you know, uh, watching the family interact um, and watching the family dynamics in the sign language mm-hmm. you know, was new and was different and was something that I really liked watching on the screen. Mm-hmm. But if you go to my Letterboxd, which, you know, we always encourage people to do that, follow yeah. us on Letterboxd. Um, I actually just, right at the beginning of the year, I just start ranking every movie I see for the year. And, and that, that list moves around all throughout the year. So right. if you go to my Letterboxd, and you look at my movies of 2021 ranked, mm-hmm. you'll find it's kind of like you said, right dab in the middle. Like I saw over the whole year, I saw 34 films from t- 2021. Mm-hmm. And um, this is prior to my second viewing. I could probably bump it up a few, but like it's number 20 right now. It's like, yeah. you know, it's not even top 10. I appreciated some things in it more the second time I watched it. But I'll tell you, if we didn't, if we weren't assigned this by the Academy, right. I don't think I would have given it a second viewing. I don't know that that's yeah, fair or not, but either. I probably wouldn't. I probably would have been like, yeah, it's a good movie. Everyone should go see it. Mm-hmm. It's a good sort of like even like Friday night kind of date movie. Mm-hmm. It's not too long and it hits all the beats like you said, and then it'll make you cry a little bit at the end and you'll be happy. Like it just kind of does what it needs to do. And it does a lot of like what something like This Is Us does for people or Parenthood does for people yeah. you know, who watch those kind of shows. And I don't knock that, but you know, even after the second viewing... Um, yeah, we should probably even do like star ratings, I guess. Like I would probably, I would probably just give this like, it's a three and a half star movie to me. That's where I was. It's good. It's, Mm -hmm. it's good, but it's conventional. Mm -hmm. And with that, with those conventions, there are some conventions that even in this movie drive me up the wall. Uh And then there are other conventions that I'm like, this is exactly what I want in a movie like this. And right. it does it beautifully. It does it so well. And I am with the Ruby character and I am understanding her dilemma. And, mm-hmm. and I am like seeing that through this lens of the specific dilemma of being a, a, a coda. That is a fresh perspective on this, what is actually a pretty conventional film. Right. You know? Yeah, definitely. And it adds to it. It's not just a thrown in aspect of, oh, how do I set this movie apart? Oh, I'll make her a child of, Deaf adults. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, there's also part of me that says, like, great that a very clear genre movie won Best Picture. You know? Sure. Granted, I would love 
for, you know, horror to get its due or, you know, like some other genres potentially. But like, you've probably seen this as a librarian that like YA fiction is becoming much more critically recognized, you know? And deservedly so. Yeah, right. Exactly. And for, you know, I teach AP Lit and they add YA stuff to their list of books of literary merit now. And that's good, you know? And so there's part of me that's like, yeah, I'm not, I don't love like teen coming of age movies, all of them. There are some great ones. And I usually though, they get ignored because you can say, oh, that's just a teen coming of age movie, you know? And I think there's something to be said for, the second year of a pandemic in the midst of looming World War Three, potentially sure. a movie that's happy <laughs> is, yeah. is what we want to say. That's the movie of this year that we want to recognize, you know, something that ends with just an expression of love. Yeah. I do wonder, this is a teen coming of age story. Mm-hmm. You're a high school teacher. Maybe mm-hmm. you would you would be able to speak on this a little bit better than I. I mean, we don't even have box office returns to kind of look at. Yeah. But are teens watching this? Or is it kind of a teen coming of age story that's like really just for like adults and like kind of prestige festival kind of watchers? You know what I mean? I, yeah. Like, any any students of mine who've seen it like liked it. Okay. But I think if it were on Netflix, a lot more of them would have been watching it. Yeah. I don't think teens would go and get Apple to watch this movie. I, I agree, and I don't even think, and this is where I, I kind of want to talk about this, even though I do want to talk mostly about the movie. One thing that just really ticks me off about the whole kind of like this being Apple's, you can just kind of see Apple's strategy in this, is like, okay, they've got a Best Picture winner on their hands. You can go on Apple TV today, and it's like six on their list of like featured things to watch. And I don't know what this says about movies in general, that Apple even mm. is just like, yeah, yeah. Because if I'm you go there thinking. right now, I mean, and I and I thought maybe this was just like my algorithm, but no, because it's recommending shows I've already completed and watched. So I think this is just their general. Everybody sees this most Top popular movies. stuff mm-hmm. featured. Number one is Severance. Then it's Ted Lasso. Then it's Slow Horses. I don't even know what that is. It's a new show that they've got. Then it's We Crashed. Mm-hmm. Then it's The Morning Show. Mm-hmm. And then you see Best Picture winner Coda. And so to me, it's like Apple can just kind of throw all this money at a movie, go ahead and win Best Picture with it, and then be like, yeah, well, if it does something, it does something. If not, well, we'll just throw money somewhere else. And and right now, I just, as someone who loves movies specifically, like, I see this on all streaming platforms. They're just kind of like burying movies, period. Like, it's all kind of about series and TV shows for the most part, if if it's a platform that does all of that. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, this is getting super cynical. But like a TV show gets 10 views, right. whereas a movie gets one, yeah. you know? And so this is kind of the story of Coda where... Oh, it's like just like kind of sad. And where, I want to be like, no, we need to champion this yeah, thing. Yeah, where the movie itself gets buried in, like you said, the conversation about streaming, the conversation about streaming taking over, uh, you know, winning, finally winning Best Picture. It's just, there's so much conversation about the conversation about the movie right? rather than the movie itself. And we're doing that right now. So so let's get into some of the details <laughs> yeah. here. So let, let's, I mean, we could stay positive. One thing that I thought, like, as far as just what you're watching and what Sean Hader's doing here, that some of the choices that she is making, one of them I really appreciate is you've got a lot of scenes here of a family having conversations. Yeah. 
And they are just shot like you would shoot any other family having a conversation in a movie. It's mm-hmm. just that it's all being done in American Sign Language, with the exception of Ruby maybe saying some of her lines out loud. And this time around, I really paid attention. It is never, I mean, there are certainly other areas of this movie that where they are doctoring the hell out of it with music and score yeah. and really trying to like tell you and telegraph to you, this is the emotion we want you to feel right now mm-hmm. with the music. Right. They pretty much cut the music out entirely during all of the family communications. Right. And just let the actors be actors. And you hear the, and I know this is like, I don't, <laughs> for someone who's, uh, who is hearing exactly, like me, yeah. it's kind of like, well, that's a privilege for me to get this experience that a person who's deaf wouldn't get. Yeah. But like, even for me, I love the sound design of hearing the hands slapping right. against each other. That's and, what I really you know, noticed this time that like you hear their exhalations, you hear their hands slapping. Yeah. Like you just, as a person who hears, you hear the rhythm and the sound of that communication yeah. that like, I don't know when I was watching it, it felt the word that came to me was like, it's a brave choice, Yeah, but it's just like, it's just appropriate. Right. It's the appropriate yeah. choice. And I, I, I like that Sean Hader didn't feel the need to like hold anyone yeah. who's hearing's hand in this, you right. know? Because truth be told, you can't control people's reactions to that. And there are people who it could make uncomfortable yeah. to be hearing those. It could, there are people who could think it's funny, like something that's sort of silly. There are people who could think it's, I don't know, sad or like, yeah. like, but that's why that's I think why I would say the, the, why the word brave came to me is because making that choice is really unprecedented for the most part in movies, and to just trust the actors, trust the story, trust the filmmaking to say no, regardless of how people react to this, whether it makes them uncomfortable and and then their subsequent reaction, we're gonna do this the real way, like we're gonna just show the reality of yeah. it, and the reality of it is this very tight-knit, loving family. Right. And you've got just, I mean, you know, Troy Kotzer obviously won, you know, won the award for it. Mm-hmm. I think extremely deserving. Yeah. I mean, it is an incredible performance. That character is great. The character of Frank, mm-hmm. the dad. Um, but, you know, Marley Madeline and Daniel Durant just, I mean, it is such they great were, casting. They were all three They're incredible. They're so good, all of them. And they all get their t- kind of time to shine in the movie. Mm-hmm. And it's different emotions, too. Like, uh, the scene between Ruby and Leo, that's the brother character played by Daniel Durant, uh, where he's angry. He's angry at her because, you know, she's like playing a savior to the family once again in his mind, you know, and that scene of them where they just kind of fight, they have it out with each other. Mm -hmm. It's loud without having any sound like it's, you know, and because it's just such a great physical performance of the communication and language and the slapping of it and everything. One thing that was interesting to me was that the second time I watched it, um, my wife was sitting next to me, but she wasn't paying attention. She was working on something else. Mm -hmm. And um, it's when you're invested in this movie, when you're watching this movie, it really does just feel like dialogue, you know? And she was just like, this movie's very quiet. And I'm like, oh, I didn't notice. I mean, I really did not notice. I was really in it. And to me, these are people talking out loud, you know, even though they're not. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, you really, I really did get used to it. And uh, it's interesting what you're saying that like this time too, I noticed they're performing like they're yelling. Like like you get that, right? Like, Like you understand the emotion of it. And another thing is that like, 
a lot of times when movies are, you know, quote unquote, just about representation, there's a really sanitized version of that identity yeah. presented. Mm-hmm. And this movie, like Marley Matlin's character is is pretty awful for a lot of it. Yeah. Then we hear kind of like where some of that's coming from, but there's also parts of it that's just, she's sort of a vain person, like to an extent. Right. You're with Ruby when she's kind of like, why is this all about you? And that doesn't necessarily get resolved, but we do also see a really profound and unique perspective of a deaf mother and what it would feel like for her to have a child who was hearing versus what she kind of hoped or expected for having a child who was deaf right. and the reality that she'd never felt very connected to her hearing mother and was afraid of that for her daughter, if her, if her daughter was hearing. Yeah. And then that scene where Leo really wants to be more a part of the community of fishermen, um, where Frank is content or has resigned himself to being disconnected from yeah. that. And Leo, there's that scene where he's trying to kind of, laugh along like reading the lips but like there's just a a verisimilitude to the lived experiences that if a movie were just about representation i don't think we would get necessarily no because i think the movie a movie like that is so concerned with what are people going to think about this representation what are people going to think about this identity yeah this Um, is going to be what people think of deaf people so we need to make sure we know like the the message they're getting yes um, and what you get here is not that you get you get just well-rounded characters. Uh-huh. You know, I will say what this movie does really well is it it lets you empathize with absolutely everybody. I think mm-hmm. in it, you know, the family. I'm going to stick with the family yeah. here, but like you know, they all sort of have their own struggles. And what I also appreciate this movie is that the struggle is not just being deaf. Like right. the struggle is that they are fishermen barely eking out a living yeah and that that's a struggle it's not because they're deaf that that's the struggle it's a struggle because that's the occupation that they have but they also introduce why that is harder for deaf people yeah and that's real too that they're they're like the american with disabilities act has tried tried to address some of that stuff but there's still actually discriminatory policies against deaf fishermen right and it just brings those issues to light in a way that is really way more natural than if you had described it to me. Oh, it's a teen coming of age story, but it also touches on how hard it is to be a deaf fisherman. I would have been like, this sounds, <laughs> this sounds really shoehorned and everything, but it does it like really well. Like um, while also maintaining why this is difficult for Amelia, you know, Ruby. like Ruby. Yeah. Amelia yeah. Jones's character, yeah. Ruby. <laughs> um, because it's not just about like the savior sort of thing. It is though, like that is definitely part of it, but it's like my family could lose their livelihood if they don't have me there to, to interpret. And I think she's very aware. And that's what kind of makes the the argument with the brother is like, it's kind of like you see it from both sides because I think she's aware that she doesn't want to come off with that like that necessarily. Right. She doesn't like being in that position. So yeah, I mean, I think, I think that, in a, in a lot of ways, this movie takes those conventions and, you know, it doesn't just slap the representation on top of it. No. It sort of goes very deep into the very, uh, what would often be, I think, kind of complicated family dynamics that mm-hmm. actually that dynamic is very common. Sibling rivalry. I mean, mm-hmm. that's super common. Mm-hmm. Or someone feeling like they don't quite belong in the family and another person saying, like, of course you belong. You belong better than I do. You know, like, yeah. like those are all very common things. 
And so they could have just sort of like said, oh, they're doing that, but then there's also their death. Like, you know, but instead it's just like, no, let's talk about how that exact, very like universal feeling would be the same, but also very different within this uh, family that's got one person who's hearing and three people who are deaf. And I guess that's part of what my negative reaction to the movie is, is that there is enough drama in that yeah, that they didn't need. Oh my god, the extremely conventional teen drama. Yeah, of it that like she didn't have to have all the other stuff going on for that story to be interesting. When it is about like the teen drama stuff, there are times where the emotion is there, but it feels so contrived and conventional. Even though I will admit that there were parts of it that I still connected with, you know? Like, for some reason, this time, the first time it didn't, but for some reason this time, when he makes her, like, make that ugly sound and then she starts singing. Oh, yeah. Like, it got me. It did. I actually wrote that in my notes. I was like, oh, the ugly sound part got me. I said, God damn it, the ugly sound part (laughs) got me. (laughs) Sounds like we had the same thing. I was so mad at it because I'm like, this is dumb. But man, like, and that's, I think that's Amelia Jones' performance, her voice. She's so good. In that moment, it it got me. No, no, you're holding it. I'm not. Yeah, you're trying to sound pretty. I'm not. Yes, you are. (sighs) Okay. You said uh, when you started school, you talked funny. Funny how? Talk like a deaf person. What does a deaf person sound like? You know. No, 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 I I don't know. I I want you to tell me. Different? Different how? Like, wrong. Ugly. Ugly, okay. Make an ugly sound for me. What? Come on. Yeah. You think you were the only kid who ever got bullied? Who ever had a funny accent? Look in my eyes. Push against my hands as hard as you can. Push, push. Look at me. Make the ugliest, grossest sound you can. Come on. Ah! 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 Go! Be a monster! Ah! Ah! No, sing at me! I've looked at life from both sides now. From win and lose and still somehow. Yes! That's it. That's it. And of course it gets you because of all the groundwork it's laid up to that point, you know, that you do get it. But yes, of course it's like, ugh. And I'm like rolling my eyes that I'm crying. Yeah, right. I'm like, ugh, why am I crying right now? And (laughs) another, and, and this, this is like way more, I think, of an egregious fault of the movie even though it's not a huge part of it, but it goes to these lengths to show the difficulty of being deaf in the world, the difficulty of being a child of deaf adults. Why did they have to have those broad and I think unrealistic bullying scenes Hmm. in the school? You mean, right? Yeah. Like why did they have to have that character? Right. We would have understood that already. Yeah. Even if she had just said, I have a hard time communicating because when I was when I first started school, I talked differently from people. Yeah. You know, that I feel like would get it, you know? Like, yeah, okay, I can totally see that without well, having this broad bully character who shows up and then is gone. And, I agree, like, and I also feel like I mean, I don't know. I just kind of it, it almost didn't seem that realistic to me that no, like that I would even work. So. 
that like someone could be that much of a jerk even even in high school and have me understand high school dynamics and how high schoolers can be awful to each other i get that but that's a level of awful where i think in this day and age most of school would be like what the hell's wrong with you yeah right (laughs) like why are you making fun of someone for having deaf parents right you know yeah like and then she's popular right and that's why I kept thinking there there had to have been at some point maybe more to that story. Like maybe there was some kind maybe, of like scene yeah. of confrontation. Like what's going on here? Like what you know? What do you? Why do you do this to me? Yeah. Because it is all just in that. Like she's the only one that does it. Other people laugh. You're yeah. Right. right. Yeah. But like it really only comes in those like kind of hallway and cafeteria scenes. You know. Yeah. And it also, I don't know. It feels like conceptually, it's overwrought. To be like, oh, this girl's a great singer, but her family will never hear it. Yeah. And they don't lean on that, of course. But it's just sort of like like the whole singing stuff, It that is where it feels algorithmic to me. You know? Well, yeah, because it sounds like you're kind of, you got a blank sheet of paper in front of you and you're like, I want to make a story about a girl who has to live with her deaf family. Mm-hmm. What would be like the hardest thing you could think of? Well, they can't hear. So singing and music is obviously, that's what I love about hearing. Boy, that'd be so hard if that was your gift. You know, like it's just sort of, it seems like, it it does seem a bit contrived. Um, But with that said, you're not going to get some of the most touching and beautiful moments of the movie without that dilemma, without that contrivance. Exactly. Yes, that's that's extremely true. That like where he asks her to sing it for her. Oh my gosh. And, you know, that that movie is, or that scene is incredibly powerful because of that, like, sort of, you know, dichotomy. But then there's also the cynical parts of me that's like, well, people love, you know, acapella versions of pop songs. Let's put that in this movie. Like, let's do (laughs) the hearing folks a solid. Like... Yeah, yeah, you 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 are gonna have to read subtitles, but we'll put some well, real real catchy songs in there for you. And there, you know, there was I I will link to it in the show notes, but there was a pretty good article that was written in the Atlantic that's called "The Tension at the Heart of Coda." It's by John Hendrickson, and the sort of sub subtitle in that says, "Even after two viewings, I'm still trying to answer a fundamental question: Who is this movie for?" Mm. Hmm. And um, I think that is a question worth asking, and he does a much better job than I think I will in you know uh, going through it. So you should just read the article. But I think he kind of at the end of the day concludes after showing like some you know bringing in some some uh, other critics and people from the deaf community who have talked about the movie that you can recognize the representation, you can be proud of it, you can see the achievements it's doing and the things that it's doing that it has that film really just hasn't done or given these opportunities to deaf people before on the mm-hmm. screen. And still, at the end of the day, conclude, yeah, but, you know, this was mostly a movie for hearing people. You do get the scene, I think, at the concert. Oh, where yeah, I was you, just thinking we need to talk fin- about that. You finally get what it would be like. So that's an incredibly powerful it's and effective powerful scene, scene. But it's also the scene that tells us who this movie's for. Yeah. Because for a deaf person watching that, the that's whole not movie's look any that. different. <laughs> right. And there's no, like, subtitle that says, like, sound cuts out, you yeah. know? But, but I... I that's okay. Like, that's, that's okay. fine. And, uh, another- and that's, that was my feeling reading it. Yeah. I was like, I get what you're saying. And I think what you're saying is it would have been nice if we could finally have a film that really was by deaf people and for, for deaf, deaf people. people. Like, and, and honestly, I'm kind of like, okay, you know, you, you should, you should have known your answer before you even wrote the article because the movie's called Coda. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's about, it's, it's about, about being a child of, of deaf adults like exactly. it is it it's about ruby it's her experience that's the movie that's right. the movie that's laid before you but it's kind of like you're asking for a movie that this one never even set out to be yeah you know right exactly and i think that's sort of 
like the Hamilton discussion we had, like the movie is, is yeah. huge yeah. now and didn't necessarily set out to be the standard bearer for deaf movies, but because it's the first and it's a big deal, it is asked to be that. And it was never prepared to be or set out to be or should be necessarily. And there is part of it that like, paradoxically to whatever everything i'm saying is the fact that it's a conventional teen movie is also important because it's not a movie about being deaf it works as a teen coming of age story yeah hearing teenagers can watch this and get just the same thing out of it as they could out of all of those rubber stamped netflix teen coming of age movies this one has deaf people in it you mm-hmm. know so i was i was listing all of the the hallmarks of teen movies that this this movie has in it. And it I don't know if there's a definitive list, but it feels like it gets most <laughs> it of them. It checks the boxes. And I I actually kind of stopped pretty early writing okay. these down. But I kind of want to ask you whether you think these are assets to the movie or problems with the movie or just irritations about the movie or however you would react to them. Sure. But uh the things I wrote down as hallmarks of a teen movie I would say borderline cliches of a teen movie. Uh, the Bullies. Mm-hmm. A Secret Spot in Nature. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, a Hidden Talent. Uh-huh. Um, an Outgoing Crush who helps the main character out of their shell. Uh, a Funny Brash Friend. Oh, yeah. Yep. It's all there. Uh, a Friend and a Sibling Hookup. <laughs> right. And then a quirky teacher who believes in in the main character. Uh, there are probably more, but I was at the bottom of the page and I didn't really want to continue that note. Well, uh, and I think the, the question page. is, okay, so so there's two questions. Do they work? We can go down that list and say, do they yeah, work? Okay. So the other question is like, how much of that in this movie is something that feels contrived yes. and how much of it feels natural? Yeah. So I think actually of the list you gave, I'm going to say almost all of it's felt pretty contrived to me. Okay. Bullies. We already are on record as saying contrived secret spot in nature. I thought that was pretty contrived though. I think it does sort of function. Okay. In the movie. Um, I, 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 I'm ambivalent about that aspect of it. What is it really? I mean, that's, I guess where you as the viewers realize, yeah, she really can sing. Right. Just when she's alone. Mm -hmm. And she goes and sings happy birthday to nobody. At the quarry or whatever that was. And hey, you know, we've talked about this in our Pitch Perfect episode that I have kind of a love-hate relationship with acapella and how mm-hmm. it kind of makes... I mean, I was very squirmy in I, that scene. I was very squirmy sure. in that scene. I did think it was really funny when uh, Gertie said, like, if you start doing the cup tapping thing, <laughs> right. we're done. I thought that was funny. Uh, the hidden talent. Does that work? Is it contrived? Well, it, it, in this movie, it has to work. Yeah. The whole movie centers around that. I think it absolutely does. Yeah. Outgoing crush who helps her out of her shell. Talking, Miles, the, talking to Miles character. Miles here. is just kind of a. Mm-hmm. What's the word I'm looking for? A fart. <laughs> yeah. He's just kind of a nothing. There's like no. I am not buying really any of the chemistry between. No, them I'm not really either. Even though well, you loved Sing Street, which he was in. I know. I don't mind. Maybe I don't mind him as an actor. I just. I, Ferdia Walsh Pilo. That's his name. I just don't. Okay, so doesn't there kind of just have to be that in the movie? Like, are you are you really going to try to have a coming-of-age movie that doesn't have some kind of romance in it? No, of course not. You just got to cast But then he better. just disappears. Yeah. It's not like he drives her to college. 
which I also thought was a little bit strange. That 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 yeah, goes like, on the list she, too. Yeah, it's like two hours away. Why didn't her parents drive her? <laughs> it's not like she was going to California, and they were like, "Well, we can't run. I don't our, think we can't run our fishing going co-op to if we don't." Nah, she was just driving her. Just driving her. Like, when they drove her to the audition, so obviously they drive. Right. I don't know. That was weird to me too. I guess they just needed the. But moment. you couldn't have that you moment. Gotta have the moment. You know, and I'm I'm there for the moment. That was a good moment. I let me like obviously with Troy Kotzer, Marley Matlin, and Daniel Durant, they they have a lot of experience acting with ASL. Amelia Jones doesn't. I thought she did a really good job acting ASL. Yeah. Like the way she holds her arm out for that. Like it's it's a really expressive yes. way of signing. Yeah. No, I, you know, I I I felt, and of course, I don't have. I, I can't really speak to whether she's doing it well or not, but like it felt very natural to me. Yeah. And having to learn that. And then I also felt like when she did speak it as she was signing it, even her delivery of the lines vocally matched right. very well with what she was signing. Yeah. Uh, the funny brash friend. I, I Was that supposed to be some comic relief maybe in the movie? I guess so. You got plenty of comic relief in the family itself. I don't yeah. know that you really needed that character at all. Uh, the friend and the sibling hooking up. Didn't need that at all. I... Don't know how old her brother is, but he's yeah. definitely it's out also, of high school it's and she's in high school. It's questionable, yeah. Uh, the quirky teacher who believes in her. Uh, well, of course you need it. Right. But there were moments that got me with that teacher. Yep. And there were other ones where I'm just like, oh, we're doing this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it felt like there were times where it was inspired and times where it was like, and this is what happens with a teacher like this in this movie. Uh, one thing that, that kind of... I, I guess you could say that this is also a, a trope of a teen coming, teen coming of age drama, but it was something that I, I was bothered by. Uh, a teen unnecessarily keeping something secret. Right. Well, that's the thing, too, is I felt like she could have just been up front with him, at least. Yeah, my Not, family's starting a new business because yeah. this is what's happening here. I'm, they need me to interpret. In fact, they've got a really important TV interview that I need to interpret for. She never tried that. And I cannot believe that he would be like, doesn't matter. Yeah, you know, that's the thing is I kept thinking he's being really unreasonable. But then I was just like, but he doesn't know what's doesn't going know on. anything. You know, even when she gets there and she's late, she's like, I got a lot going on in my life right now. And of course, like any teacher talking to a teen, if you don't know the specifics of that, you say something like, well, I do too. Yeah. Like we all have got a lot going on. But I don't know a teacher who wouldn't say... You want to talk about it? <laughs> right, that's true too. <laughs> <laughs> Especially one who has seen her nights and weekends at his house. Right. I don't know. That's a that's a contrivance that I don't think is working very well, but you need it for the story. Um, were there others? I mean, I mean, there's some things that we're not even calling tropes, but they technically are, but they're just so beautiful, you don't want to call them a trope. For instance, like that scene with her dad. Oh, yeah. You're going to have a scene in this where it's the... The sort of daddy daughter yeah. kind of scene. Not in all of them, but you know, even even in a movie like Ten Things I Hate About You, there's like a yes, there's like yeah. a very brief kind of touching daddy daughter kind yeah. of moment. And those always get me. Always. Yeah. And this one. <laughs> and this especially. one. Oh man. This Unbelievable. one. This one really and that is like, okay. So much of that is in Troy Kotzer's performance. Mm-hmm. Like, because you know, you could have done that scene a, a whole lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is just beat by beat. The emotion in his face, the way... I mean, it's just... Mm -hmm. That scene is beautiful. And I do think if this movie does have any life to it, like ongoing, it's going to be just sort of the 
the iconic mm-hmm. scene that that is. Like mm-hmm. that is a scene that I do think will just kind of etch into people's minds and might even kind of become its own meme worthy kind of thing. Just the right. idea of a pickup truck with a daddy and a daughter sitting behind it, yeah. you know. And the idea of putting your putting your hands on the vocal cords, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of feel her talent in singing. And the scene where she starts signing during the Joni Mitchell song. Yeah. yeah. That worked so much better. Like that whole climax worked way better this time for me. Yeah. I just think that for me, what is really frustrating about this movie is that the family scenes are so damn good. Yeah. And then everything you just kind of listed is like, right. Just kind of takes it down a couple notches. Right. But they're also, they also tend to be what people carry away from it because they're the pop songs. And that's part of what bugs me about it is that like, yeah, of course, Joni Mitchell's going to get stuck in your head. Of course, Marvin Gaye's going to get stuck in your head. That doesn't make that a good scene. Like, yes, Amelia Jones is a great singer. Yeah. Of course, you're going to hear Starman and want to clap along too. But then it's kind of like, yeah, isn't that kind of the point though? That like the rest of the family doesn't really get to have that joy that you're feeling right now. Right. Yeah. And, you know, whatever. Could the movie interrogate that? Like, could it flip it on its head and say, like, you know, I mean, it kind of tried by by having that moment where the the sound right. comes out, and you and you do kind of get the few seconds of hearing it from their point of view, and them looking around and seeing how other people are impacted. Yeah, but by certainly it. not with not before you get to enjoy the moment yourself for long enough. Like I can <laughs> yeah. I can imagine almost like a cruel filmmaker, like if like Michelle Hanukkah was making this oh, movie yeah, no and like doing something to like really just take any enjoyment that you were getting out of it away and suck it out from yeah it. and obviously and like, that's not don't the get point of that. this movie yeah. but like you know <laughs> so whatever i can't i can't criticize it for being a movie that wasn't made but um yeah it's just that that sort of like you had so much good stuff and then you just padded it out with this really weak stuff yeah and i'm not even talking about just like things like the songs i mean like you talked about like the nature spot like i just have a hard time figuring out what that's doing other than we need some way for her to, I don't even know, like be alone. Yeah, to kind of think but would it, would it have connected with people as much if it didn't have those shorthand footholds to say, like to orient you in the type of movie it is, yeah. right? Like would it have been way too disoriented of experience for, for people to be so broadly enjoyed? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you always kind of have to weigh those things. Right. And, and the thing that I think is the best part of this is that those don't detract from the other parts like they don't cheapen them at yeah. all they're they're kept fairly separate and maybe we I, I maybe we need to clarify for ourselves like are those tropes in and of themselves a bad thing or are we just kind of being like that because that's again going back to the kind of the YA coming yeah. of age conversation like you could take a western that mm-hmm. maybe we both love yeah, that we, we the and tropes some, are like a big and thing. And someone yeah. else could be like, okay, let's go down the list. Though yeah, this right, one has yeah. this and this yeah, and yeah, this. Yeah, Does yeah. it work? Does it work? Does it work? You know, and it's kind of like, well, it's a western. I've what seen do you it want? work you and know? not work in westerns. Of course, so, like you. you so I could, think that's what we need to kind of like. It. I think that what we're saying that's is why we went not, down the list and we we judged each yeah. each of them individually. I didn't just say their presence made it bad because I think you can use tropes. Yeah, so I think that's good. I mean, to clarify, and I think what we're saying that's kind of disappointing is that. And actually, I would say it's like almost like a 50 50 of those of tropes. Like, yeah. Some of those tropes are like boilerplate, right. average coming of age teen movie trope. Yeah. And other tropes, it's like, oh, this is actually very cool what yeah. they're doing with this. And yeah. it's like 50 50. It's not like a good ratio where it's like, I love this movie except yeah. for this one part. It's like, no, like half the movie yeah, is kind of this lame just, tropes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the other half is like really stellar. Yeah. You know? Right. <laughs> one of the tropes. So this one, th- this one's sort of like, 
for lack of a better word, a humble brag criticism of a trope. But um, what did you think when you first saw her holding an album by the Shags? Well, you you must have known the Shags, I guess. You hadn't. You don't know no, the Shags. No, I had not really listened to the Shags. Okay, I got to be honest. And I, yeah, I, should I even say that on the air? Because I like to kind of, I, I like to kind of like think of myself as sort of a someone who who knows yeah. a lot of music. The Shags, yeah. Well, they're like anti music music, okay. and your favorite band's favorite band sort of thing. Like, well, so does this kind of have this? That to me, that part to me, kind of smacked of like Juno. Yes, like Diablo Cody, just sort of like. It's not virtue signaling, it's like trend signaling. Yeah. You know, like... No, absolutely. Like, when I saw her holding a Shags album, I was like, oh, they're really trying to paint her as this super artsy, quirky girl. Because, I mean, the Shags are like Daniel Johnston's influences. Okay. Where Daniel Johnston is weird and influenced people. Like, the Shags were like the weirder version of all of that. Like, a So you're watching it almost... Like, You're watching almost like, all right, calm it down a little bit, you know. Yeah, At least make absolutely. it like Velvet Underground, right, maybe, yeah, or yeah. like, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's a deep cut trope that is <laughs> like, yeah, trend signaling. Definitely, definitely like culture signaling. Yeah, where it's like most of this audience is going to be like, I've never heard of that band, so it must just be some cool band I've never heard of. And then the people who know it are going to be like. Oh, she likes oh, the wow. shags. She likes the shags. Pretty cool. And then the people who like, really know are going to be like, oh, <laughs> she likes the shags. Yeah. Uh, and that would be you. Yeah, that would be me. <laughs> that would be me and maybe uh, three other people who are just miserable <laughs> bastards. Uh, so, end of the day, I do not begrudge this movie winning Best Picture. I don't begrudge the Academy for choosing this for us to watch. Um, I am extremely like moved by Troy Kotzer winning. So I feel like it's, it's a weird spot to say, I thought this movie was just okay, but I'm glad it won best picture. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not upset that it won best picture. Right. Not nearly as upset as I have been in the past with some best picture winners. And even a Spellfasted one. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, but at the same time, you know, I know you were saying you're not upset that it was chosen and that we had to talk about it. I, I do kind of like, I look at the other lists and I'm like, oh, I would have, I would have loved. There were other stuff I would have rather I would have loved to have rewatched that. I would have loved to have talked about that mm-hmm. movie with someone. Yep. And then Coda won and I was like, I was happy for Coda, but then I was like, oh, now I got to talk about Coda. Mm-hmm. Like, I like, felt like I didn't have as much to say about it I don't have as much as to say about it. I really don't because... It's, it's fine. It's fine. It's the kind of movie that, I mean, how much do you need to say about it? You right. Know? Yeah. I will say this, even though I would say, I would have said I, it's not one I would have watched again. And I will say probably I won't watch it again. I am glad I watched it again. Yeah. I did feel differently about it this time. I think part of that was I knew it wasn't going to be more than yeah. what it was. Well, I'll tell you one thing that solidified for me watching it a second time that I was appreciative of is the first time I watched it, you know. Especially that third act. There's like three scenes where I'm like crying, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And you watch it once, and 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 you have that experience. And you know, I I like to have a good cry at movies and things. Mm-hmm. And uh, but but then later you're kind of like, yeah, what was I just in a mood that day? Yeah. Or sometimes you're like, was that just a really manipulative yeah. kind of movie? And what solidified it for me the second time was. No, those are just genuinely moving scenes and they're done very well and they're actually not done in a manipulative way most of the time because like we said, there's a lot of times there's no score. Mm-hmm. The camera's not doing some weird trick or editing trick or whatever. Like it's just, these are people performing very well 
scenes that are just touching. Yeah. Those emotions that I got watching it were were real. They weren't they weren't sort of manipulated yeah. or fabricated. Right. Um it was actually just as emotionally impactful as it was the first time watching it. Yeah. So I mean it feels like we're on the same page here. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I said I I said my first watch I had it at three and a half and I think I'll probably just I think it keep stays it at there that. for me. Yeah. <laughs> And that's, you know, we always, we, we talk about this a lot. Usually when we rate something at three and a half, I think we usually say this, that that's not a bad rating. Right. And it's not to say that somebody else couldn't have it higher or lower, or whatever. It's just, that's a solid movie. That was a movie. That was a movie. And it was, how you feel one way or the other, I'm not going to have much energy to fight you yeah, on that. No. <laughs> you hate that movie? All right. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. You, you love that it? movie? Yeah, there's some stuff to like about uh, that yeah, movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I, I mean, I guess we're best, we're best buds, buds on, this. on that. Yeah, I mean, we're we 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 kind of were unimpressed by the same things and impressed by the same things. It seems, and, seems like it yeah. for the most part. Yeah, and I'm sure people uh, who are listening to this episode are going to have opinions. So you know, we'd we'd yeah. love to hear those. So should we? Uh, I guess this kind of wraps up Coda. This yeah. is a nice little Coda, coda. to our Coda. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, had to make that joke at some point. Yeah. So I got it in there. Good. Coda is a musical term. If you yeah. weren't familiar, mm-hmm. it's about yeah. the ending section of a piece of music. So uh, appropriately, as we are wrapping this up, let's, uh, enter, let's, our let's coda. enter our coda of this uh, episode and yeah. uh, talk about what we're going to discuss in our next episode. Well, for the next episode, we both had fun with the coming up with the definitive movies. Yeah. Episode uh, 100. Oh, that's wanna, right. 100. If you want to yeah. go back to the, to the archives and listen to that one. Yeah. Because before that, we rarely ever did topical kind of right like here's yeah we're gonna so we're gonna we're gonna come back to that idea come up with a list this time we're only we're gonna each gonna come up with three movies we're not shooting for the moon of five this (laughs) is not a hundred episode again um but we're gonna talk about that we're calling it overlooked movies so for whatever reason in our opinion in our opinion right for whatever reason you think this movie deserves a bigger audience or another look or more people should be talking yeah. about it or, or whatever. I think what's wrong with everyone. Right. It's kind of where I'm coming from. Right. Like I'm seeing this yeah. thing. It's I'm amazing. Right. I'm the one who's right here. You're yeah. all wrong. What's going on? Why here? is everybody yeah. so awful? And how am I the only good human? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll keep it nice. Right. I but mean, that's kind of the vibe. It's right. Antagonistic. Yeah. You know, not to keep bringing the Oscars back because our contractual duty is done, but that's always the case. You see the best picture list and you're like, bah, you know? Yeah, what the heck? Snubs, flubs. Yeah, right. So, so we're not going to call it a snubs and flubs. No, this is uh, overlooked. So this is just overlooked movies. And it could yeah. be anything. It could be that the movie has a performance in it that you, you don't understand why, why it, you know, people aren't talking about it or remembering it or just a whole movie. Or yeah. it could be the movie got really bad reviews or audiences didn't flock to see it and you just don't understand it they, right the, the the parameters are wide open on this one we're gonna be the this is kind of a us being the prophets in the wilderness right kind of episode yeah. where we're screaming to you saying i can't believe yeah, more people what? don't see this movie yeah. the way i see it god yeah. will strike you dead uh that too right i mean i could definitely see it going that I way could. because you know these are movies that uh for whatever reason are overlooked and it, yeah. we're trying to rectify that yeah and say that's wrong do the lord's work Get out there and see these movies. Right. Seek out. Seek ye these movies. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's the prophetic talk we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. 
And we're going to rewatch these movies. We are, yeah. So, you know, uh, we'll, we'll Ryan's going to give list. me his we'll list. Be, and we'll be, yes, yeah. So we can hopefully bring some even newer insights into them. And hey, maybe it'll be like, okay, now I see what everyone's saying. And, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, <laughs> might, we might pick it and then rewatch <laughs> it and say, like, you know, I used to think that, but yeah. Everybody was right. <laughs> it'll be fun either way. Yeah. I think it's fun it's times. Just fun. Good times. It's just fun. fun. Times. And so obviously, we would love to hear movies that you think are uh, overlooked. I think everyone's got them. Oh, yeah. And uh, beforehand, give us your titles. Ryan, do you want to kind of run through uh, some of the ways people can reach out to us? Yeah. To listen to or comment on this or any of our past episodes, find us at canwestillbefriends.net or email us at feedback at canwestillbefriends.net. You can find us on Facebook at Can We Still Be Friends Podcast or Instagram at Can We Still Be Friends Pod. If you'd like to leave us a voice message and perhaps be featured on the podcast, call us at 847-306-9532 or email us a voice memo. As always, we'd love it if you could subscribe and leave us a rating or review at Apple Podcasts. Those ratings really do help spread the word about this show. And Can We Still Be Friends is written and produced by Ryan Ebling and Nate Goss and edited by Nate Goss. Thanks, as always, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. See you later.